For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. Good morning, everyone. I'm Douglas Floyd. I'm the temple director at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. And I, I suppose I'll begin by thanking Taigen for the opportunity to speak. Not that I love speaking like this, but it does, it does push you to um, spend time with different issues and to clarify your own understanding of those issues. Today I wanted to talk about a koan from the Gateless Barrier, um, Case 23. Uh, not thinking of good or bad because talking about it gives a, gives a chance to talk about how the Zen school has thought about itself and some fundamental um, assumptions of the Zen school and just some and some practice hints. So, let me read this story. It's case twenty-three. Not thinking of good or or bad, good or evil. The sixth ancestor was chased by Ming all the way to Mount Daiyu. The ancestor saw Ming coming, so he placed the robe and bowl down on a rock and said, This robe symbolizes entrustment of the Dharma. How can it take, be taken by force? Take it if you want it. Ming tried to pick it up, but it was as immovable as a mountain. Ming hesitated and became frightened. He retorted, I came for the Dharma, not the robe. Please teach me, lay brother. The ancestor said, Not thinking of good not thinking of bad, at just this moment, what is your original face? At this, Ming was greatly awakened. His whole body was dripping with sweat. In tears, he bowed in reverence and asked, Is there any other significance beyond this secret teaching and meaning? The ancestor said, What I have just told you is not a secret. If you turn the light around and illuminate your original face, what is secret? is right there. Ming said, though I followed along in the congregation at Wangmei, I've never had insight into myself. Today I received your instructions and had an opening like a person drinking water who knows for himself whether it is cold or warm. I shall regard you as my teacher, lay <clears throat> brother. The sixth ancestor said, if this is so, then both you and I take Wangmei as our teacher. Let us protect and uphold this teaching. So this case is a little obscure, not because it's a particularly difficult case, because it, but because it drops you right in the middle of a story 
from the Platform Sutra of the Sixth Patriarch, which is um, a scripture that's been extremely important in the Zen school. The, the Sixth Patriarch is Wei Nung, and um, a patriarch was supposedly um, someone who had received the transmission of the true Dharma as a successor to Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma was the first patriarch, followed by Weka and Sengsan and so on, until uh, the fifth ancestor, who's a, who's a character in the sutra called um, Daman Hongren. And the um, Platform Sutra purports to be uh, talks by Wei Neng as the sixth ancestor from the Dharma Hall platform, in which he uh, narrates his autobiography and gives various talks. So we know this is not historically true for a number of reasons. Among them is that uh, Wei Neng lived in the 6th and 7th centuries and historical scholarship today has shown that the, the uh, Platform Sutra was written from the 8th century with lots of revisions up through the 13th century. But the fact that there have been so many versions and revisions shows the importance that uh, the scripture had. It's a sort of interesting as well that the whole point of, of this, this uh, scripture being written was to support um, the, posi the, um, the position of Weinang's successors as part of what was called the Southern School against um, the successors of uh, Shen Shu, who was the, the head monk under um, semester, the fifth ancestor, uh, Daman Hongren. And the point was that there was a dispute over doctrinal differences, but also it was a fight over patronage. And um, so eventually the Shenshu Northern School died out. The Southern School won. So it's not what is in the scripture is not necessarily a fair portrait of, of what happened uh, or what Shenshu taught, for example. But at any rate, um, to provide the background of the story, what I can say is that uh, Wei Neng was the, the son of a, a minor uh, government official who was disgraced and banished from the north to uh, the south, to Guangdong. And um, he took the family and uh, died when Wei Neng was three years old. So Wei Neng grew up very poor and illiterate, and he made his living and supported the family as a woodcutter. One day, while after he had delivered some wood to one of his customers, he heard a monk chanting, and uh, <clears throat> the monk reached a point where he said... Um, Right. Dwell nowhere and bring forth original mind. And 
Wei Nung's mind opened and he experienced himself in just this moment. And he went up to the monk and said, what is it you're chanting? Where did, where did you come by this? And the monk said, well, I used to be a monk at, uh, on Mount uh, Wanmei, far up in the north. And the teacher there, Daman Hongren, used to speak about the Diamond Sutra a lot, so I got the Diamond Sutra and I brought it here. Wei Nang said, well, then I need to go study with Hongren. And he found a way to uh, have his mother taken care of, and he made the thousand-mile trip up to Mount Wangmei, to the monastery. And in spite of the fact that uh, Wangmei Monastery was enormous, it had something like a thousand monks, Wenang was able to make his way up to Hongren and make his bows, and, and Hongren said, well, who's this in front of me? And uh, Wenang said, well... I'm from Lingnang in uh, province in the south, and I've come here to pay my respects and to study the Dharma. And Hungren said, well, uh, you monkeys in Lingnang are just barbarians. How could you ever become a Buddha? So Weidang responded, well, although people from the north and south may differ, there is no north and south in Buddha nature. And although my barbarian's body and your body are not the same, what difference is there in the Buddha nature? And Hongren was impressed by this answer, and he wanted to have further talks, but uh, he was worried about the, reset, the responses and of all of the other monks who were surrounding him and wanting to talk and ask questions. So he said, well, you can come into the monastery as a, as a lay brother and work. So... Uh, Wei Nang was assigned, was not ordained, and he was assigned to work uh, pounding rice <clears throat> to remo remove the husks from rice. And he spent about uh, eight months doing that, uh, and, and without seeing Hongren. After about, at the end of that eight months or so, Hongren was thinking, well, I'm getting pretty old and I'm, I'm pretty worried about the succession. So I'm going to require all of the monks in the monastery to write a poem that would uh, illustrate their understanding of the Dharma. I'll read that, and if someone merits it, I will transmit the, the, uh, uh, the status of ancestor to them. They'll become the sixth ancestor, and I will give to them Bodhidharma's bowl and robe to uh, evidence the transmission. So he did. The next he uh, called all of the monks in the monastery together and said, write a poem. I will see, what under, review what your understanding is, and if there's a worthy, worthy successor, he will become the sixth ancestor and will receive the robe and bowl. Well, there was uh, the head monk in the monastery was named Shen Shu. He had practiced for a very long time, had been teaching uh, at the monastery as well. And so all the other monks said, well, Shen is going to win, and he's been our teacher anyway, so none of us, let's not, we're not going to write poems. And Shen wasn't sure he wanted to do it either, but he decided he needed to, he was interested in being the sixth ancestor, and he was also interested in knowing whether his own understanding was, was correct. And so he 
wrote a poem, but he wasn't sure he wanted to expose himself by adding his name to it. So <clears throat> he went at midnight to the hallway outside of Hongren's rooms, and on a wall in the hallway he wrote a poem that was says, The body is the Bodhi tree. The mind is like a clear mirror stand. Moment by moment, wipe the mirror clean so that no dust collects on it. So, um, this poem has been understood for a long time to suggest that Shinshu was saying that that our mind uh, has to be purified, that we have to eliminate all delusions, all um, cravings and grasping and delusion in order to awaken ourselves. We have to wipe the mirror clean. And um, when Hung, uh, so Shinshu uh, wrote the poem on the wall, didn't sign it, and left. And the next morning, Hungren saw it. There was a big crowd of monks reading it and exclaiming about how brilliant it was. And uh, Hungren recognized that Shinshu must have, have written it, and he called him in and said, well, did you write this poem? And Shinshu said, yes, I did. And he said, well, it's not bad, but it's not the last word in Zen. You're not there yet, so why don't you go take a couple of days and try again? And... Uh, and we'll see what you come up with and whether you're going to be the sixth ancestor. So Shinshu left and he spent a couple of days stewing, <clears throat> but he couldn't come up with anything else to say. So at the end of that time, uh, Hongren told everybody who decided, well, this may help people with their practice. It's certainly not going to hurt them. And he called the monks together and said, everybody needs to learn this poem and to recite it. So after a couple of days... Weinang was working at pounding rice in the kitchens, <clears throat> and a young acolyte walked by singing Shinshu's poem. And Weinang called up to him and asked him to come over and said, well, what is that? And he said, well, it's, uh, where have you been? This is the poem that Shinshu wrote, and Hongren has asked us all to uh, memorize this brilliant poem and to recite it so, so that we'll fulfill the Dharma. Wenang said, well, I'll tell you what, I want, would you take me to the hall to uh, burn incense and bow to this poem to re express my respects? And um, the acolyte said, sure. And he took him to the wall and, <clears throat> and uh, Wenang did, but he also said, well, I have a poem too, could you, I can't, but I'm illiterate, could you, could you write my poem down? And the acolyte said, well, okay, I guess so. So Weinang recited a poem that says, Bodhi fundamentally is not a tree. A clear mirror has no stand. Originally, there is not a thing. And Buddha nature or mirror is always clean and pure. Where can it be stained by dust? There are other versions in the different versions of the, of the platform sutra that are are a little stronger, I'd say. They would say, Bodhi is not a tree. There, there is no tree. There is no mirror. Originally, there is nothing. Buddha nature is always clean and pure. Uh, so how can anything be stained by dust? And that's a very different position, right? It's, it's coming from, 
from the Prajnaparamita emptiness sutras like the Heart Sutra and the Diamond Sutra saying that everything is empty, so there are no things. There are no fixed, unchanging, separate things. We can't talk about them. We, we see phenomena, but it's only our perception of them as things that are grasping to things, either as a result of our our desires and fears or our preoccupation with protecting and validating ourselves and perceiving ourselves as the subject that's having a desire about something over there or someone, someone here is who's a perceiver of some object out there, that's, that's the only status of things. There are no things except in our perception of them. So um, the acolyte scribbled down his poem on the floor of the passageway of the hall underneath Shinshu's poem, and they left. And um, the next day, the the monastery was in an uproar, and Hongren heard it, and he came out, and he read the poem, and he recognized who must have written this, because he remembered that lay monk who was pounding, uh, who had spoken to him and who was now pounding rice in the kitchen. But he didn't want to cause trouble. He knew that that uh, he couldn't really praise this poem because it, or identify Wei Nung as the person who'd written it, because here he was, this barbarian, illiterate, hadn't been ordained, hadn't been practicing in the meditation hall, none of knew nothing about uh, Buddhist scriptures, so he just rubbed the poem out with his foot, dispersed the crowd, and later that day went down to the uh, kitchens and saw Wei Nung and told him to come to his rooms at midnight that night. So that night, at midnight, Wei Nung shows up, um, Hongren preaches the Diamond Sutra to him, which causes Wei Nung to have another awakening. And uh, Hongren tells him, him he's going to have to leave because uh, being named as the sixth patriarch is going to enrage the monks who are supporters of Shenshu, and so he might come to harm. So he needs the, here's the robe, here's the bowl, you need to leave, flee, and you need to mature more, so don't teach the Dharma for three years. So um, that's what happens. He escorts Wei Nung to the river outside of the monastery, sees him off, comes back, and the next day he announces that there's, that second poem was... Uh, a true expression of ultimate dharma and that it had been written by Wei Nung and so he had named Wei Nung as the sixth patriarch and given him Bodhidharma's robe and bowl and the monks went wild and 700 of the monks formed a posse and left chasing Wei Nung to chase him down, kill him and retrieve uh, the robe and bowl so it could be given to Shinshu who was the person who really deserved it. And so that's that's what's going on in this koan. That's, that's the scene that's been set up. So, um, so we get to the scene of 
Oh, uh, and among all the 700 monks who who's chasing Weinung is um, is is monk uh, Ming. Ming is uh, I guess he was Wei Ming, and Wei Ming was uh, had been before he became a monk. He had been a ferocious fighter and a general. So he was a, if anybody was going to be the monk to track down Weinang and kill him in order to receive uh, to recover the robe and bowl, it was going to be Ming, and that's what he was intending to do when he saw Weinang. And you know the, what happens just to walk through it is remember Weinang saw Ming coming, and he said, "Look, this robe is has nothing to do with the Dharma. It's just a symbol. Uh, you can have it." And Ming came and he tried. He wanted to pick it up, but he couldn't pick it up. The robe is immovable. So there are different versions of that. Uh, you know, there could be different explanations of that. Is it some sort of supernatural explanation that the spiritual power represented by this robe uh, kept him from lifting it, or was it that Ming recognized that he did not had not realized the Dharma himself and wasn't worthy to? to lift the robe. But at any rate, he wasn't able to do it, and so he said, please teach me, uh, lay brother. And that's when Wei Nung says, not thinking of good, not thinking of bad, at just this moment, what is your original face? And that's the moment then, in response to that, that Monk Ming, Monk Ming's mind opens he realizes his original. He he he's realizes his original face, his original nature, and he asks for Wei Nang to be his teacher. So this is really it's a it's a replication of the experience that Wei Nang had when he heard the monk reciting the lines from the the Diamond Sutra, right? Where non-abiding uh, original mind comes forth. You know, original mind, original nature, original face are are all terms that are used like Buddha mind and Buddha nature they, to to refer to the spacious, open mind that is not caught up in clinging to, abiding in things and objects of desire and delusion and. Um, and original nature, original mind, is also the spacious, open world, um, inclusive of everything that we perceive when we awaken to our original face, our original mind. So that's, you know, this is a, this is language from from this third ancestor's poem, uh, "Faith in Mind," the Xinxin Ming, and it's it's a it's a it's both the Xinxin Ming and the Platform Sutra are still read and are very, very influential in, in Zen now. Those lines, not thinking good or bad, uh, you know, the, the great way is, is not difficult for those who don't think good or bad, like or dislike, um, right or wrong. It's not difficult for those who don't have preferences. That sort of language is, has been quoted in... in other koans too. There are a number of koans in which Jiaozhou is talking about that, and um, you know uh, the the language here is um, 
you know, uh, Weinung says, not thinking of good, not thinking of bad, at just this moment, what is your original face? And Ming says, well, what is this secret? He just can't believe that he stepped outside of that clinging to good or bad, liking, disliking, judging right or wrong, and here he is in this uh, vivid experience of just being here with this open, um, clear mind, uh, is it. And so uh, Wei Lung says, just, what I have just told you is not a secret. If you turn the light around and illuminate your original face, what a secret is right there. And what strikes me, something that, I, that struck me for the first time reading this koan this time is how this language is tracks, um, turn the light on you within, uh, don't think good or bad, uh, perceive your original face, is language that, that, we, that Dogen uses in Fukan Zazengi, where he says, you know, take the backward step that shines the light inward. Don't think good or bad. Don't judge right or wrong. Uh, And your uh, original mind, your original nature, appears. It's interesting. What I'm not going to suggest, there's absolutely no evidence that Dogen was familiar with, with the gateless barrier. Um, So what I think that suggests is there, there's another document that used similar language that uh, Wu Men had read and that Dogen had read. Or what I think is also equally likely is that there's a version of the uh, Platform Sutra with that additional language, that language in there. Um, and I haven't, I haven't seen that version. So it may be that that language is something is a version of the Platform Sutra that both um, Wu Men and Dogen had read. So, uh, Weinang says a number of times in the Platform Sutra that his teaching is not original. He's just passing on what he has learned, what he has heard from people reciting the the Diamond Sutra to him, or the uh, or the Lankavatara Sutra, or the the Heart Sutra, and I, I think that's right. That we have these uh, similarly. The, his words have come down to us, and we make them alive for us even today. But um, this is the meat. I think the up until we reach this scene, um, the. Wei Nung's autobiography has set up a number of positions of the Zen school that are very important to us. That awakening, uh, the practice of Buddha Dharma, is not dependent on our social standing or our background. Even a barbarian, even a monkey barbarian, can practice and realize uh, the Dharma. Um, it doesn't require that you uh, be some sort of student of Buddhist scriptures or some sort of philosopher. Wei Nung knew nothing about those except to the extent that some, he'd heard somebody reciting the Diamond Sutra. It doesn't require that we have done Zazen for a really long time. It's not even clear that Wei Nung had practiced Zazen up to that point. And especially important is what is the difference uh, that even 
in the middle of our thinking and our clinging mind, we can step back and wake up, uh, uh, no longer clinging to desires and delusion and realize our original mind without getting rid of them but in, and not purifying our mind over a long period of time through study and practice. But right here in the middle of our delusion, in our ordinary mind, we can wake up to our original mind, our original face, our open, spacious mind, and to the open, spacious world that we find ourselves in, in into Buddha nature. Right this moment. And... That, after all, is the point that uh, Dogen is trying to make with in uh, Fukan Zazengi. That just sitting on our cushion, taking that backward step to pay attention, we separate ourselves from thinking. We're not thinking or not thinking, we're non-thinking. The thoughts come and go, come and go. Uh, they no longer control us. And at that moment, when we're non-thinking, good or bad, right or wrong, our original nature, our our original mind, our original face uh, appears and we wake up to being alive in this spacious, open world in which we are not being controlled by um, attachment and aversion and the delusion, the perception that we are this perceiver, this wanter who must be protected, must be supported, must be validated. So, um, there's no reason for Dharma talks to drag on forever. So I'm going to say, okay, having some more zazen, or I'm okay with just urging you to practice just sitting, just being here, sitting upright, not trying to purify our minds, not trying to stop thinking, not trying to do it the right way, not trying to avoid doing it the wrong way, not being caught up in any thinking or feeling or emotion or judgment, but just letting those things come and go as we sit. Sit here in this moment uh, in which the desires and the thinking and the judgments are all part of what's here. There are thoughts, but we are not thinking. There's non-thinking, but we are not thinking. And just that experience is the liberating experience of awakening. It is the It is the fulfillment of practice realization. So, um, I'm going to end it there. And if anyone has questions or observations, please uh, feel free. Thank you. David. Douglas, thank you so much for that um, for that talk. So 
I'm I'm always amazed how there's all there's always more of of uh, of this this tradition. I, I I don't think I had ever heard of the gateless barrier. Um, and, and that's an amazing story. Um, I have a question about Wenang's poem and and its context because because his poem is a is like a commentary or a response to Shinshu's poem. You know, and it almost seems like it's hard to imagine Huineng being able to write that poem, except in response to Chinshu's, you know, poem that seems to say, seems to say, well, the it's it's about being a being the best goody goody, you know, meditator and, and achieving a pure mind. And I mean that, and that's that's definitely what I wanted when I first started meditating. I wanted to get cosmic consciousness when I started doing TM. I, I didn't know what it mean, what it meant, but I wanted it. Um, but anyway, I, I, I wonder if, if, if you have anything to say about, about that, about, about Huineng's poem as a, as a commentary or, or a response to the, to, to the poem by, by Shinshu, if that, if, that, if that means anything in particular. Um, well, he had had, you know, he had, he had, heard, he had, had the experience of, of uh, stepping out of the abiding mind and and bringing forth his original face, uh, or the original face coming forth, really. I think that's that's a better way that it's explained. <clears throat> when he heard the monk uh, in Lingnang reciting the Diamond Sutra. Um, so he had the capacity to think about that, I think, that, that, that I can step outside of, of um, like and dislike, judgment, non-judgment, and awaken to this moment right here, this reality in which, which includes everything, including these painful wants and likes and dislikes and views about who I am. All of that is really included in, in the Buddha nature. But I, and, but I think, you know, that doesn't mean that we are divorced from the world. We are in the world and part of the world, and we are in constant... Uh, we're completely connected with the world and, and there's constant interaction. So I think it's completely appropriate that he would respond to Shinshu's poem with, um, with uh, just a way of saying that's, that's not the full story. I, I think it would be... I, I think that I, the traditional reading of Shinshu's poem is not necessarily... Uh, a fair reading of the poem, which could just be uh, a statement that we have a, a an awakened slash pure mind, um, and we have to continue to step back from uh, thoughts and desires in order to manifest that. That, but. Um, but that, you know, the, the, that's not the standpoint that that Wenang is trying to bring out, and um, you know that that uh, emptiness teaching, that fundamental teaching of emptiness and realization of emptiness, and then emptiness in action, is has been the real thrust of the Zen school um, since then and before then, probably.
Paul. Uh, <clears throat> thank you very much, Douglas. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's our it's our birth our birth story of the of the Zen school. It's always good to hear it, and uh, I'm always I've always uh, appreciated it. But um, currently, we've been in a lot of discussion about precepts and uh, where the precepts and and where do the precepts the precepts look like look how can, can look like uh, polishing the mirror um, and uh, do you have some understanding about how that how that how our interest in the precepts and our interest in in um, the ultimate mind the, the mirror the mirror the, the mirror the mirror that does that, that never gets dusty uh, how those two relate to each other I think the precepts are, well, I, they're not rules. I think they're touchstones. The way I think of them is if I am, if I notice that I'm violating or have violated the precepts, I've clearly uh, gotten caught up in small mind. I'm not, I'm not manifested, I'm not living the awakened praja action of the original face. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think, I, I think it would be easy for someone to say, well, I seem to be following the precepts pretty well, so I must be a good Buddhist. And I don't think, uh, you know, that clearly isn't the way we think of the precepts. We think of them, I think, as, as uh, warning, I think of them as warning signs. It have if I'm violating the precepts, I've lost it, and I need to wake up. And by and actually, at the moment that you realize you've violated the precepts, you probably have waked up at, in in doing that, in recognizing that that you've been caught up in in whatever thinking or activity violates the precepts. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to just mention from a from a from a from a artisan point of view that pounding rice pounding rice is and especially doing it for a large group is you know you, you, you're standing on a teeter-totter with a bar in front of you you take your weight off of the teeter-totter and the uh, and then and the and the and the other end goes down and hits the rice and then you put your weight on again and it comes up again so you're constantly going up and down up and down very monotonous you know <laughs> and for a large group it's all day long it's very it's 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 kind of it's kind of like a, a an all body keening. Anyway, it's it's a it's a highly meditative state, and people don't usually do it for that long because they're just doing it for their family. Almost every family would have a rice pounder in the old days. I I have some I have some tomb figures from the second century that have rice pounders in them. Anyway, um, I would suggest that. That he gained some experience of, of, the, of emptiness through pounding rice. Yeah, that could be. I mean, zazen in action, um, where you're uh, paying attention, but you're not exactly you're not caught up in thinking about what's going on because of the repetition. I think walking is. Is the perfect analogy for King Hin. Cool. Um, I am um, 
interesting. Well, I realize I, I have a, a, a little gal with me, and we're working hard to condition her um, with language, with concepts. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts about how to condition a child to live in the world with the possibility of allowing that to fall away when the time is right. <laughs> wow. You know, I think it's inevitable for us that we learn to use, we learn to think, we, we use concepts. And it seems inevitable, uh, and we have desires and feelings, it seems inevitable that the, as a result we're going to, uh, our karma is going to cause us to cling to the object of those desires, the object of those thoughts, and think that they are fixed, separate, unchanging things. Um, I think that's a step we have to take, uh, or, or not that we have to take, but that we will take, um, and that we then have to learn to uh, open the hand and not cling to those. There's nothing wrong with using words. We have to use words. We can't function. We can't live without words. But we can step back and open the hands so that we don't get cling to them and think that that they are the objects of our desire or or of our fear. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't think of any way to avoid or, or to raise a Buddha baby from the beginning. I mean, other than in the fact that 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 original face, that original mind, is always present. You know, and that is and that is part of the the point of Weinung's poem, right? You're not developing an awakened mind. Um, it's there, all the time. And for us, that's the the experience of zazen. We're not we're not. Uh, concentrating or studying koans in order to create some awakening of mind, we are stepping back from the thinking and feeling and desire that obscure, where we obscure that open, free awareness from ourselves. It's there. We have just have to recognize it. But that's not what you were asking about. I don't know how you avoid getting deluded. Uh, Again. Yes. Uh, in response to Ko, I think, you know, Dogen says to study the self. Then he says to study the self is to forget the self. But I think we, well... It's been said that we need to have a, a healthy ego before we can let it go. We Babies, in some sense, already are it. Baba, wawa. But, um, and they're not caught up in discriminations. But uh, awakening is about awakening to our discriminating mind and not being caught by it. And, of course, we are caught by it, but... Uh, that's the process of uh, letting go, awakening. 
and in, in response to so, uh, you know, help help your baby to um, see things and appreciate things and and uh, try and have a healthy ego. But of course, we all have damaged egos. <laughs> That's part of the, part of the deal. Uh, being born means we have karma and we have causes and conditions and, and growing up means we have causes and conditions and attachments and ignorance and cravings and all that. Get going, letting go of that, we can see, again, baby face, original face. <laughs> um, so that's in response to Ko. I want to say something about precepts and response to Paul. And actually, I was going to announce that tomorrow evening for my talk, I'm going to talk about precepts, but also uh, Dogen's writings about writing about precepts, very brief writing on uh, Kyoju Kaimon, on teaching and conferring the precepts. Uh, so I'll talk about this tomorrow night. But uh, the precepts are engaged from the place of dropping everything away. But then in the Bodhisattva tradition, we see that um, there is suffering within us, around us, and how do we respond? So the precepts are about how to respond to be helpful, to let to help cut through all the suffering of this world, which is obvious. So it's not that it's about attaching to good and bad, but it's about discerning, okay, from a place of openness, spaciousness, <coughs> what's how do we help all the suffering beings around us, in the world, within us? Uh, so uh, Dogen comments on the precepts from that perspective, and I'll talk about that tomorrow evening. So it's not that the precepts are uh, antithetical or separate from Huineng's realization or his, his uh, instruction to not think good or bad, just turn the, turn the light within and see this wholeness, this openness. But then uh, what do we do with that? Because we are in the world. <laughs> Here we are. Um, we're not attaching to some nirvana in the sense of cessation and, and, and you know, departing this, uh, this delusional world. We're in the world, and uh, as, as Paul was saying. And so we um, uh, need to be uh, responsive but but uh, also, don't don't uh, discriminate good and bad, right and wrong. Cut through all that, and then how to be helpful. So, uh, this is the challenge of our practice in the world. So uh, anyway, I'll say more about that tomorrow night. <laughs> well, I also think I guess I would say that that. Um maybe in educating children, it's fair, I, I think it's true that we can teach children that our actions and our words and our actions have consequences and that we can should act from a position of um, compassion and goodwill and kindness and generosity, uh, sympathetic joy, so that we are... Um, not living from a self-centered standpoint, but from an inclusive standpoint. And I think that that 
to use language we don't use a whole lot at Ancient Dragon, it does create good karma and helps create a, a causes and conditions that are favorable for awakening because we're not living in that way from a self-absorbed position of fear and desire, frustration, anger. Um, and I think, so the precepts are helpful in that way, I think, as well. Ed. Uh, thanks, Douglas. You know, I just want to mention, I like the idea of a posse of monks. <laughs> I'm just curious what their mode of transportation was, if they were on horses or if they were on foot. Do we know? <laughs> it doesn't say in the Platform Sutra. There are traditions that say that uh, Ming was riding a horse when he found Wei Nung. But it took, uh, it took three months for him to find Wei Nung because Wei Nung had already had fled and it gotten down to um, Guangdong. And uh, so that was a long way, you know, a thousand miles. Um, so it took a while for him to find him. And, and Wei Nang then uh, eventually became teacher in the South. He did not return to the North. So I just want to recommend the Western movie Rage at Dawn. It's on. It's free on. Uh... <laughs> again, <laughs> a good Dharma lesson, is it? Okay. Okay. Looks like we're done. Should we move on to uh, chanting and announcements? Any any last uh, last call for comments, responses, uh, questions for Douglas? Anyone? I would say something. Deborah. Deborah. You see me? Yeah, I just think now that you're talking about Ming, I mean, you've got to give him credit. He was really pissed off and he was wholeheartedly pissed off. But it led to enlightenment. So, you know, he was, it's just kind of inspiring that even though you may, he's kind of cool in the story too. That the interaction of both yeah. opened things up. So I, it's just kind of neat to not, not uh, downgrade Ming too much. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's certainly not traditional in schools of Zen that practice with koans to. <laughs> do literary criticism and literary interpretation of these stories, but I think it's fair to say that part of the Ming story is that he is enraged because of the lack of respect for Shen Xu and the misappropriation of this ro precious robe. Um, all of this is ideas, these fixed ideas about what's right and what's wrong, what's fair, and it's only when he lets that go uh, is he able... I mean, and that's what's keeping him from lifting the robe. It's a piece of cloth. And it's only after he lets go of the 
that, that he is able to awaken to his um, original face. Thank you, Douglas, for um, sharing this story. Uh, it's always good to hear it, even if you've heard it numbers of many times. Uh, uh, maybe I'll just add a little bit uh, background to the story. You know, he was from Guangdong in the south, and you know, uh, I, other than David Ray, I don't know if there's any Southerners here, but there's always this prejudice against Southerners in many cultures, and. And even though he was from the South, Huaynen uh, uh, got it. <laughs> so, um, as well as being illiterate and a, and a mere uh, woodchopper. Uh, so, David, would you please uh, lead us in uh, our chanting now? I will do that. Um, I will first make sure that everyone is muted, and then I will share my screen and we'll chant the uh, repentance verse three times, then Sandoka. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and illusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and illusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. The harmony of difference and sameness. The mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from west to east. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. The spiritual source shines clear in the light. The branching streams flow on in the dark. Grasping at things is surely delusion. According with sameless is still not enlightenment. All the objects of the senses interact and yet do not. Interacting brings involvement. Otherwise each keeps its place. Sights vary in quality and form. Sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. Refined and common speech come together in the dark. Clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. The four elements return to their natures. Just as a child turns to its mother, fire heats, wind moves, water wets, earth is solid, eye and sight, ear and sounds, nose and smells, tongue and taste. Thus with each and everything depending on these roots, the leaves spread forth, trunk and branches share the essence, revered and common, each has its speech, in the light there is darkness. 
but don't take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but don't see it as light. Light and dark oppose one another, like the front and back foot in walking. Each of the myriad things has its merit, expressed according to function and place. Phenomena exist, box and lid fit. Principle responds, arrow points meet. Hearing the words, understand the meaning. Don't set up standards of your own. If you don't understand the way right before you, how will you know the path as you walk? Progress is not a matter of far or near, but if you are confused, mountains and rivers block your way. I respectfully urge you who study the mystery, do not pass your days and nights in vain. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness we have chanted the harmony of sameness and difference. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Mahaprajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen, our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu, the perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for peoples of the world, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, mahaprajna paramita.